Hey, hey, bingers. Before we begin today's episode, I want to wish you all a very happy new year. And thank you all for all of your love and support throughout this year. For our final episode of 2021, I'm joined by the host and creator of the Reverie True Crime Podcast. Please welcome Paige Elmore. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. All right, Paige, I have some serious questions for you. Okay. Not about not about the podcast. Uh, the first thing that I noticed is that you used to be um, a veterinary assistant or a vet tech. Is that yes, right? that's right. Okay. So I know it's been a while uh, since you've been doing that work, but I have a puppy that is now 15 weeks old. Aww. And he's excited peeing on the floor oh. and I'm ready to kill him. Is this, is, is this normal? Is there anything I can do? He's killing me. It's, it's, he got the potty training down. He goes outside when he's supposed to. Yes. But every time I walk in the house, he wags his little tail and pees all over the floor. What breed is he? He's a German short hair pointer. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I have a beagle and uh-huh. kind of like that. I, oh, my gosh. So she is two and she still, she knows to go outside. She mm-hmm. she is just, she does what she wants to do. She's a little sassy uh-huh. queen. So I, I think that it's – he's still young enough where you can mm-hmm. – you know, I think it can be okay, but good luck because my two-year-old is – not what I wanted to hear, I, I know. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, he's so smart. Like, he picked up potty – we have – so we live out in the country – yeah. I have invisible fence set up, but we, but they, they, the dogs have like three acres to run. Oh yeah, and we Same. have a dog door, so they can go out and. Oh yeah, you know, and, and he, he picked up potty training in a couple weeks. He never just like goes to the bathroom in the house, and then in the last two weeks, all of a sudden he started the. You know, they're excitable dogs anyway. Yeah. Like beagles, they're hunting dogs. Yeah, and he just gets so excited and then just leaks on. The yeah, floor. that's that's totally it. I think the hunting kind of breeds just like my beagle. Mm-hmm. I think they get so excited they just can't hold it. I don't know. Right. <laughs> that's that's definitely a mystery. I did some research on it cuz at first you know when I was potty training if you'd go on the floor you kind of rub their nose in it if you catch them, you know, <laughs> right? and then give them a little tap on the nose and take them outside. And I was doing that, and then and then I read that no, that makes it worse. So now when he does it, I just ignore it and I just pet him and take him out. Yeah, and and it's he's still doing it. There's little dribbles all over the place. Yeah, I haven't figured that out. It's an unsolved mystery. Oh, see, I thought you could correct it. Well, we might as well not do the rest of the show. That was the whole thing that I was hoping you were able to, to, to correct for me. So, uh, so tell me about your. I, I, I know, I know that you're from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, I can hear that in your voice. <laughs> is it? Is it bad? Um, uh, no, <laughs> you know, my <laughs> wife and I just had this conversation last night over dinner, or two nights ago over dinner. We were talking about accents. How um, she's like, we don't have an accent, and everybody else has an accent, and I wish we had an accent. But so for you, and and my thing is, I feel like everyone feels like 
they don't have an accent and everybody else sounds like, do I sound like I have a Midwestern accent to you? Yeah, I can tell that you're Midwestern, but it's not, it's not thick, you know, and I worry about Uh my accent being thick. So when I, Uh when I record, I try really, really hard to really kind of suppress it as best as I can, but people still Uh kind of, you know, they're, they're like, oh, you know, I love your Southern accent. I'm like, oh, I try so hard <laughs> to like kind of <laughs> suppress that, but it's it's impossible. I try to suppress my dialect more than anything. Yes, because there's mid there's Midwestern dialect that people. So I got I used to read the reviews to my podcast when I first started it, and I would get so upset because everybody was always like telling me I was saying stuff wrong. Right. And like one of them is uh, the word interesting. Mm-hmm. People from the Midwest, generally, some people do, don't pronounce the T. Interesting. So I would say interesting. Just yeah. Like, j- just like that. I would say interesting. And I always said, and then I had people like, you idiot. Why aren't you pronouncing this word wrong? And I was like, oh my God, I am an idiot. I'm pronouncing it wrong. And then I started listening to people around me. I'm like, this is not my fault. No. This is how everyone says it around here. Exactly. And I think a lot of things that um, listeners may not understand is that everybody all of us are from different places we're not all going Mm -hmm. to say things exactly the same um because of the dialect and i've gotten a lot of reviews like that too like you're saying it wrong it's supposed to be said like this and it's like well this is how i talk so Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's ingrained in you and when you're telling a story and you get really into it It's just the way it comes out. Oh, yeah. And I've had people get mad because we you know we have a worldwide audience. It's the internet, right? right. people all over the place. And one of our shows, um, Zach said someone was being, uh, what was the word? He, he said, said someone was being spastic on Truth and Justice. Just like they were like, you know, being hyper, being yeah. whatever. And he just used that word, which for us, that's just all it meant. And then a bunch of people from like the UK were like, how could you use that slur? Because I guess in the UK, it's like a slur for people with disabilities or something. Oh. Like, I, like, like I, you have to know that that's not what he was. Right. He didn't know that. <laughs> right. And I was like, it, it, and our kind of retort is like, sorry, but we've learned that. We won't say that yeah, again. Yeah. I mean, there's things we don't know. And people just need to, you know, kind of, they can criticize us but let it be constructive and in a right. nice way <laughs> oh yeah well and, and then kind of my retort to was like listen i think we can give each other a break y'all in the uk call your friends the sea exactly and, and especially in australia that's a big <laughs> yeah. thing yeah like that's a horrible insult here so let's just kind of you know let's compromise they call us yeah look what you guys call a cigarette it's awful that's a slur here. yes Exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just interesting because we just got to talking about it for a long time. And, and you know, she was like different countries. I said, it's not just to think about like even within the United States, there's very, if someone's from down south, it's very clear. If someone's from the East Coast and Boston, New York. Yes. You know, they have a, or Northern Upper Peninsula, Michigan or Northern Minnesota, Wisconsin with that kind of youper accent that they have. Like everybody just sounds different yeah anyway i was just curious if our midwest which to me sounds like i have no accent well see sometimes i get to where like i'm like you don't have an accent at all 
like you just sound normal to me. And, Uh um, you know, I feel like I sound, you know, I hate to use the word like hillbilly or redneck. Like I get so nervous about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a. It's everybody sounds different. I love it. I love talking. We've had a, for oddly a bunch of Australian guests lately, and that that's like my favorite accent. Yes, you know, yes. Becky is always like, I wish I had an Australian accent. I'm like, I don't think it works that way. Yeah. Um. So so tell me. So other than being from Mississippi, I know that you were a vet tech. Uh. And then and then you had you were diagnosed with some kind of illness, and you were you had to lose that job. Did you want to talk about that? Oh my gosh. So yeah. Um. I, that was my dream job. I always wanted to be working in that field in some way. And mm-hmm. I was working there for like two years. And out of the clear blue sky, I just started passing out and having seizures. And I had no idea. It took three months to get a diagnosis. We went to every doctor. They wanted to say it was anxiety, um, stress. And then I finally got um in contact with a cardiologist who performed a tilt table test which <laughs> it's it's really grueling if you if you have this disease um so they put you on this table and you're laying flat at first and then they'll slowly tilt it up while they're checking your blood pressure and and most people when they are standing upright their blood pressure will go up and laying down, it'll go down. Well, with me, I'm the complete opposite. So when they tilted me all the way up and I was strapped down, I completely fainted. (laughs) And um, the doctor was like, I know exactly what this is. This is postural orthostatic uh, tachycardia syndrome, which just affects everything. Um, It's the... uh, this it's a type of dysautonomia. So say cancer is like an umbrella term and then you've got like mm-hmm. the types. So dysautonomia right. is kind of the umbrella term for dysfunctional um auto- autonomic nervous system. And mm-hmm. um so the type I have, we just shorten it and say POTS. Um but you literally have no control over um anything in your body like uh, anything that your autonomic nervous system controls, you have no control over. And mm-hmm. I, for years, was like, what am I going to do? I'm not used to not working. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, used to sitting still. And so I kind of had to get used to that. And then I was like, I've got to do something. And I tried a few little at-home things, and I just wasn't passionate about it. And then when I started listening to podcasts, I was like, you know, I love listening to these so much. Like, I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I got into it. So, yeah, and Erica put in my notes that you you did just discovered true crime podcasts in like 2019. Yes, I was so late to the game. So late <laughs> to the game. Because... You know, I didn't think that I would be like a podcast person. I'm more of a documentary, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. person, I thought. And then when I started listening to them, I'd listen to them at night and actually start going to sleep to like these awful stories. 
but I was so into it. I was like, I love this and I'm so passionate about, you know, learning. It's, it's so intriguing to me. So it's something that I really wanted to get into. What were your first true crime podcasts you were listening to? Oh my goodness. Um, Obsessed with Disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, True Crime Obsessed. Um, Morbid and Morbidology. Um, I'm trying to think. I know I was listening to Lady Justice and Southern Fried True Crime. So those were all my really big uh-huh. go-tos. That's awesome. I've had most of those people have been on the show. Have you listened to the episodes? I, I did kind of go through and listen, <laughs> you know, and um, I love, I love Erica. I just feel like from Southern Fried True Crime, I just mm-hmm. feel like I connect with her so much and she's just a doll. I love her. Yeah, she's great. So you, you started the podcast first just as a hobby and then it grew into you have your own podcast network now. Yeah, we just started. Um, so CJ from Beyond the Rainbow, True Crimes of the LGBT, um, she was like, we should start our own network. And I was like, that's such a, such a big, like, it, it seems like a lot of pressure. But uh-huh. I was like, I really want to do it. And so we did. We started our own indie podcast. Um, like true crime, conspiracy theory type of, you know, podcast to to be on there. And we were lucky enough to get uh, 20 to come on board with us. And we have a lot of big ideas that we, you know, want to do to market and promote these shows and grow them. Mm -hmm. And it's just really a passion project. So. That's awesome. And, 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 I could just imagine you going through those years of just trying to find something with being a being in the veterinary field, being kind of your passion and losing that, finding something yeah. else that's a new passion. Yeah. And then and then you've gone full steam ahead in just what, just a couple of years you've gone from listening to your first true crime podcast to running a network yeah, with you said you have so, twenty shows on the yeah, network. Yeah. Um yeah. Um Fruit Loops is one of them. Um mm-hmm. we have Let's see, The Jury Room, uh, Gone But Never Forgotten, um, and then they were gone, um, California True Crime. There's just, oh my gosh, there's so many. Brew Crime. And what we are really focused on are the indie podcasts that that really are victim-focused and not so much, I hate to say, like, all about the killer because you do have to go into the background of that and there's not always a lot of information mm-hmm. on victims which is really disappointing but um we really wanted just really good indie podcasts that get looked over because the bigger shows you know are the everybody's go to and we just want to mm-hmm. showcase those that are truly just diamonds in the rough and they come out sounding so professional like it blew me away i started on my phone because i was a dummy Uh thinking uh, this was just going to be a hobby and so i started on my voice memos my heater 
on in the background, dogs playing. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Like, I can't do this. I wanted, after a while, I was getting, you know, kind of bad reviews about that. And I was like, oh, crap, people are really listening. So I have to step it up a little bit. So, yeah, I got really, uh, I got in a funk for a while because I was like, I want to do this, but people are so mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you, I tell people all the time, you got to stop reading, reading the reviews or you'll just hate yourself. Yeah, I totally did. I was like, yeah, everybody's saying like, don't read reviews. Just do you make something mm. that you would listen to, you know, just do what you enjoy. Yeah. And then you end up growing your own tribe, right? Because you the people that are listening or the people that like your style and the people that, you know, hopefully the people don't continue to, which they do. I don't understand what's wrong with it. It's some form of mental illness. I think, <laughs> that continue to listen every I week do. just so they can tell you how much they hate your yeah, show. Yeah, they hate listen, you know, right, just yeah. like we hate watch <laughs> reality shows and complain about, you know, things like that. They, they yeah. do. They do. Yeah. So uh, I heard you say you had dogs. You you, you are you you were in the vet field. What, what do you have for? Do you still have pets? Yes, dogs or just dogs? I have um, an Australian Shepherd named Buster. Um, he is six years old, and then I have Maggie May, my Beagle, who I love so much. She's so sassy. I love her. But just the like we were talking about, like the potty training issues, mm-hmm. I, as much as I love her, I don't think I would ever get another beagle, especially like like for <laughs> right. inside. Um, yeah, it's it's been a nightmare with that, but I love her so mm-hmm. much. They're just like kids, okay. like you love them, but they get on your nerves. <laughs> mm-hmm. They know just when to pull out the cute card. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like our, our little Mac, our little puppy now is is upgraded to sleeping in our bed. I don't even know how and when that happened. Oh yeah, um, and you can't like, deny you that you can't <laughs> you can't just you know put them on the floor or you know and even if they have a bed, they don't want to sleep in that. They want to be cuddled up to you. And you can't deny mm-hmm. them that. <laughs> so you get a horrible, terrible night's sleep every night, but then I wake <laughs> up with like. His chin on my neck, you know, as yes. he's curled up on me, and it's like, well, he's so cute. I know he's not exhausted because I haven't slept in two nights. Exactly, because he's crawling all over me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so let's talk about the podcast. So, the podcast is called Reverie True Crime. Where, where did the name come from? Actually, I was having a hard time figuring out a name at first. It was called. All the things that keep us up at night. But that was so long. Uh And I was like, I'm getting tired of saying that every episode. (laughs) Yeah. So um, Eileen from Crime Lapse, um, she helped me come up with that. And she was like, reverie. Like, it means to daydream. But also, what I kind of thought was, well, sometimes when you daydream, you can get lost in thoughts about, you know, bad things and so i was like okay i can work with that i I like that Mm -hmm. nice so then reverie so it's funny because your first episode is a lot like my first episode if you listen to it now i have like a disclaimer on there it's like listen first of all the sound quality sucks yeah it gets better stick with me yeah (laughs) kind of the same thing on there every everybody's telling me to um 
update like the 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 past episodes and and put a disclaimer in front of it and say you know because everybody told me starting out their audio is bad and what i like Mm -hmm. to do personally is listen to bigger podcasts first episodes and it kind of comforts me in a way because i'm like they don't sound as bad as i did but you can tell they weren't polished and Mm -hmm. that really for a podcaster i think that kind of brings some um kind of like um relatability Sure. And yeah. And listeners, because you know, when you're a listener and and not a podcaster, it's different because you listen to it and you're like, ah. And then you might not listen to the new episodes because those right. first ones turn you off. So I, I might start putting in like a a little disclaimer on each like first twenty. <laughs> Cause, right. Because <laughs> they're so bad. Yeah. See, I'm looking at that. My my seasons are. Uh, uh, serialized so it's like one the same so no one would just listen to season one episode five they're going to start at the beginning so the first one is like look sound quality sucks it gets better also like you uh it changed i changed the name so oh I know really you, you downloaded yeah like so so my podcast is the other one is called truth and justice but mm-hmm. i started off it was the serial dynasty because we were talking about the adnan syed case when i started oh okay. so yeah like, you're gonna hear yeah. me saying serial dynasty i know you just downloaded truth and justice we rebranded so that's what you can expect as you yeah. kind of go through the whole thing. Well, that's so that's so cool because I've never really talked to anybody that has changed their podcast name, and I've been really kind yeah. of insecure about that. So that's that's really cool to know that you've done that. No, we did. Yeah, mine was similar to yours. I started off; it was ha ha a hobby. Yeah, talking about the serial case, and then. It grew into something more. We started doing other cases, and we're like, well, we can't really be the serial dynasty. We've been talking about, you know, investigating our own cases. So, but yeah, I, I just changed the name, rebranded it, and then, then I go back and listen to the first episode, and it's so cringy listening to it now. <laughs> but it just gives everybody, like, listen, this is – I think in the first year when I was doing that first season, I think I went through, like, four different microphones. Oh, like, same. It was just like, yeah, I've got a stack of them still out in a cabinet out in my office from – when I upgraded from this one to this one to this one, then I like bought an expensive one that didn't work well with my voice because my voice was too deep, and I'd get rid of oh, that yeah. one and another one. And, and that's another thing that that people don't understand too. Um, when you're not backed by a, a, like a, like a big network that will or a studio, um, mm-hmm. and you start off as an indie podcaster. You then start learning everything that you need. And I went through so many microphones because mm. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have enough money right now to get what I need. And then when I thought about it, I was like, I could have been saving all of that money that I spent on yep. these $20, $15 microphones yep. to get the, the better one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it took a while, but. It's a similar story. So when you, with your network, with like the new shows you bring on, did you bring on all existing shows or did you help launch shows? Um, we have not like helped launch a show yet. I think that uh-huh. is so beyond anything I could do. <laughs> so right. so we, we just um, kind of contacted existing shows and then I built the website and we kind of just promoted the website and that people could apply. 
And mm-hmm. we shockingly got a lot of applications to join um, because I think it is so difficult to get on a network like Wondery or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. And we really specifically wanted to focus on indie podcasters that are doing everything themselves. I mean, right. so much work just um research writing editing producing putting out their own content working social media like crazy you know staying Mm -hmm. up days and nights like it's it's a lot of work and you know we just felt like we need to grow these shows because they're just as good as as the big ones you Mm -hmm. know so we're we're gonna try really really hard to to market in in a whole lot of creative ways we've We've really been thinking about some uh, things that are out of the box to market and promote. So I'm really excited sure. about it. We we officially launch in January, but we did a little soft mm-hmm. launch and we're going to, you know, get everybody together in a Zoom meeting and talk about all the things we want to do. And I'm just so excited about it. Well, that's awesome. And it's, it's so great that you're, you're helping to promote them because that's that's always one of the oh yeah things. oh yeah and also like thinking outside the box i know like for us we've we found that you know we kind of quit marketing with like truth and justice because like everybody's doing the same thing and it doesn't doing the same thing over and over again just doesn't work anymore you know yeah just, this social money. media is so hard to mm-hmm. to gain a following to an instagram i cannot figure out what what the heck the al the algorithm is doing <laughs> So, like, right. sometimes you'll get a lot of hits and sometimes you'll get nothing. So, mm-hmm. social media is really hard. So, we were like, we got to think of something else outside of that. Like, do you have right. any any advice on marketing and promoting? Oh, God, no, I'm the worst at it. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the big thing, so years ago, it used to be, you know, we would all, you know, the true crime podcast community is a pretty awesome community. Oh, gosh, and we do yes. tons of, like, ad swaps with, like, other, you know, if we had some something new coming up. And be like, hey, will you run a promo for my new season? And I'll run a promo for yes. you guys. But it's like it's become so commonplace that no nobody really sees the needle moving on that yeah. anymore. Yeah, I, I know, still, we still do, do it, for it. People all the time. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I still think that sometimes it works, um, but it's disappointing when people like kind of run to your podcast, listen to it, and you see. That people are listening, but then it kind of drops back down again if they mm-hmm. if they don't. And so it's it's kind of um, you know it's sad because it's like oh they all kind of went away, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we even found like with it's funny. So this show, uh, True Crime Binge, you know, it was a spinoff of Truth and Justice. We did a season where we used this as a format during the pandemic, and you know the the listenership was great my audience loved it and when we just just moving to a new feed so i mean talking about advertising we had the whole truth and justice audience saying hey if you like this just jump over and subscribe to true crime and it was like at first 10% of the audience like you listen yeah. to every episode on that feed why wouldn't you continue you know yeah. what i mean so it's it's yeah so no i'm the worst person in the world i just just keep doing my thing and people either listen to the yeah don't, same you know, you know I, it, if you're passionate about it you know, I stopped checking the listenership so much because mm-hmm. you'll get wrapped up in that and think, well, nobody's listening. 
or, you know, not many people like it or whatever it is. And you kind of get wrapped up in, well, nobody's listening. Should I do this anymore? And you got to think why you started. Right. And I always tell people too, like, you know, some, some smaller shows that we've helped, you know, just here and there, just friends or people have reached out to us. They're like, well, I've only got, you know, 3,000 people listening to my yeah. podcast. I'm like, I always say, well, I, I know that doesn't sound like a lot in the podcast world, but have you ever spoken in a room in front of 3,000 right. people? That's a lot of people listening to what you have to say. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. It's just one of the cool things about the space is you can, you know, yeah. there are people that like what you're doing. And as long as you're doing it because, you love it. And you like this, like true crime binge to me is kind of my passion project outside of truth and justice. I love meeting other podcasters. It's fun for me to do these interviews. So I'm doing it because I love doing it. So it doesn't really matter to me how many people are, are, are listening. So as long as you're doing that and people are listening, then you're accomplishing what you're, what you're out to do. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally. Yeah. And, and you have to remember when you first started out with that first, um, one listener. It made you right. feel like when you saw, oh, one, 10, 50, like each little right. thing. And you got so excited about that. Like you have to, um, cause like you said, I've never spoken in a room in front of like 50 people. So <laughs> that, I mean, when you have thousands of people listening and, and you're not really satisfied because you know, kind of like how many more listeners other podcasts get. You just right. can't get in that headspace. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little about your podcast. So it's Reverie and True Crime. You launched on January 1st of last 2020. Yes. So you're coming up on two full years yeah. of episodes. You release every Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, this will this episode, I think, will be dropping right around your anniversary time. Aww. Uh, so two years into it. So what can people expect from a, a, a typical episode of Reverie True Crime? Well... It differs a lot because sometimes families will get in contact with me and they'll send me case files and all this, the police reports and all of these things. And that for me is really my favorite thing to do is to talk to victims, family members, to talk to people that really have been in it. So. I do have um, interviews on there. Eric Landine from uh, True Consequences. Like, I love him to death. He's like a brother to me. And he was one of my first interviews ever. And we did it over the phone. It's mm-hmm. I was so, so super awkward, which I always feel awkward doing interviews because <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I just get really nervous. But. Um, so just talking to him, even though like you're my friend, just knowing people are going to hear this, but still like I had to focus on his story is what matters. So, um, Mm -hmm. I love doing things like that. I like writing stories when families get in touch and, you know, structuring the story and, um, but usually I just kind of, um, pick cases out of nowhere. I'm trying to highlight more um, murdered, missing indigenous women and girls right now Mm -hmm. because I just am very passionate about that. Um, Missing people that are not white and blonde hair and blue eyed, you know, like I, I really want to bring more attention and not that they don't matter. 
Like, I never want people to think that that's what I, that's how I think at all. I just feel like when you see on television or on social media, um, it's not a lot of minorities getting that same energy. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes me sad, even though like, I want all, I want everybody to get justice and to be found and all of that. But I also want to push for minorities to get the same kind of energy. Like, let's get that energy up to go find them too. Right. Well, that, that's, that's awesome. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about was your episode 90. I think it aired like November 15th, middle of November. Yeah. I, pfft. Trust me, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in this case is the Pikeville Six, the murders of the Lillilid family. Mm-hmm, and try saying that ten times, <laughs> like uh, it was so a hard difficult. Time it once. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, folks can get the full story on this on episode ninety of Reverie True Crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can you give us kind of the basic beats of the case? Like, what can what is this case? Because it's pretty bizarre, oh, uh, bizarre one. It it is insane. So six friends that were all teenagers. I think one was twenty. They lived mm-hmm. in Pikeville, Kentucky, and they all had terrible, you know, childhoods. The the same things that we hear a lot. You know, terrible childhoods, abusive families addictions, all the, all the things. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. they were like, you know what? Let's, let's get out of here. Let's go to New Orleans. Let's start, let's start fresh. And, um, one of the guys was like, well, I don't think my car is going to make it that far. Um, so we might have to actually steal a car from a dealership or a random parking lot. And, they end up at this rest stop in Tennessee, and unfortunately, the Lillilid family was there, and for whatever reason, they uh, these kids had guns in the car, and it's it's not clear in at all. Like they, I'd never found in the court records or anything where. Um, they like set out to hurt anybody. They were just gonna like steal a car and go. Um, mm-hmm. which I would have much preferred that, even though it's a crime, than what happened. But they stopped at the rest stop and the Lillilid family was coming home from, um, it was a Jehovah's Witness. They were in the Jehovah Witness thing and they, they had just come home from a meeting. And so they were stopping to let their little kids use the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And these six teenagers, sorry, my dog's barking. That's all right. (laughs) Oh, is it the beagle? uh, That's the Australian shepherd. He's on the deck, Uh but it's like right by my room. So it's so loud, but, um, Oh, I'm so sorry. Is this going to ruin? It's it's perfectly fine. Okay. People love dogs on this show. (laughs) So when they, when they pull up, um, the Lillilid family is there and, and, um, 
the wife is sitting at a picnic table uh, with the little girl, and the dad is carrying the baby, who was two, um, Peter. And they decided, well, the husband, Vidar, decided to go up to the to one of the girls and start talking about, you know, Jehovah Witnesses. They, you know, hand out the pamphlets and everything. Mm-hmm. And the guys come up and one of them has a gun and says, I'm sorry that I'm about to do this, but you need to get in your van and you know, do do what I say and you won't get hurt type of thing. And mm-hmm. so they all, most of them get in the van with the family and some of the two, two of them were in the car trailing behind the van and it just went left. Um, they go down this gravel road and they line the family up like by a ditch, and one of the boys, I think it was the youngest one, I think he was 14, um, Jason Bryant, he was the youngest one, and in court, every, all the kids testified that he was the one that did this, he got one of the guns and shot the family and then he was like, they're not dead. So he gets the other gun and he guns them down again and just ruthlessly murders this family on the side of the road. But there was one survivor out of all of this. And that was miraculously the two-year-old little boy, Peter. I was so blown away by that. And, you know, now, They're on the run. They decide, well, we're going to Mexico now. New Orleans, scratch that. Mm -hmm. So on the way there, they stop at a Waffle House. And this is the, this is my issue with the whole thing. You know, I think about the scenario of being in the wrong place at the wrong time and Mm -hmm. not knowing that something like this is about to happen. Like the girls were freaking out. Natasha, and Karen and um, Crystal, 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 yeah. yes. And she stayed in the van the whole time. And everybody, everybody testified to that, that Crystal never got out of the van. She was scared to death. This is the thing for me, is what if I were in that situation, what would I do? Mm-hmm. But the problem is... For them, the ones that didn't do anything, that Natasha stood in front of the family and said, I'm so sorry, I cannot protect you. I I cannot stop whatever's about to happen. Like, I wish I could, but I, I, like, she was freaking out. They go to a Waffle House, and as they're leaving, there are police officers coming in. And that's where I'm like, even if you were scared in that moment, And if you were to say you wanted to run, you would be scared that they would shoot you and kill you. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you are passing police officers and that is your chance right there to kind of have a safe, you know, you're safe. Here are the cops. You can tell them exactly what happened, but they chose not to and they kept going. And that's... 
that's where I have a hard time with the girls now. Uh, I know Karen Howell is trying to get clemency because, Mm -hmm. you know, the girls weren't involved and there's like justice for Natasha and justice for um, Karen and all these groups now. But then I think, you know, I get it. But at the same time, that was their chance right there, you know, and they right. they didn't make it into Mexico at first because they didn't have the right papers, but they found an illegal way to get in. And um, they were found by the Mexican police and they basically told them, get the hell out of here, <laughs> go back to the United States and mm-hmm. They are still in the family's van and they get back to the border of the U.S. and the police are waiting on them. And that's when they get caught, arrested, and the whole process begins with that. And they were all sentenced to life in prison. The The judge seems to think that there's a possibility that Joseph Risner, um, one of the guys that that was with them, also may have shot the family they're they're not sure but as far as everybody testified it was just jason so i'm not sure but i mean what what is your take on being at the wrong place at the wrong time and in a like a scenario like this like what would you do well the the thing with this case is that from my understanding of it, from just from what I've listened to and read about it a little bit, is you know all of the details that we have about it all came from the six, yeah, right, and they all, if I remember correctly, the um, Jason Bryant, the fourteen-year-old, uh, had like a low IQ, yes. was emotionally and socially delayed, and. And it's like, so they all agree that he's the one that that did everything. So it's like, we don't even know if yeah. that's what really yeah. happened. You know, the, the, I, I don't know if I buy the, well, he shot him and then went and got a second gun yeah. and shot him. And then, you know, these girls are completely innocent. And then they have an opportunity where there's a cop there where they could have gotten away. But instead, they continue down to Mexico. Yeah. I just don't know if I buy their story. I totally um, get that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as far as like being at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, you have you have these, you know, when something becomes felony murder or what, you know, or, you know, in a lot of places it becomes capital murder, mm-hmm. which I think was an option in yes, this case yes. um, that they pled out of. You, you know, that's because if, if, if you are, if someone is killed during the commission of committing another felony. So, you know, it, was it the wrong place in the wrong time that this family got shot and killed? Possibly. But also... But they did know that they were going to go carjack someone and take their car. Yeah, you know, so it's like you. It's like you can't walk into a mousetrap and then be up and then be upset because the trap snapped when mm, you got into it. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I have a hard time having much much sympathy for any of them. I don't know the case super thoroughly. Yeah. Um. But but I'd be curious what um all the listeners think about it. And me and, too. And like you- that's that's always what I'm looking for too. Is is feedback on. You know, what do you think? What do you think about this? Because that's what I like. I I just lay out the facts. I try not to, you know, put my opinions on the episodes or anything. I just research the facts, tell the story, and then let the listeners kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, come to their own conclusion and, 
you know, let them think about it. And um, I really like getting getting feedback on what others think. So, right, and to, and to be able to give Paige that feedback, you can check out episode ninety. Her name is Paige Elmore, and the podcast is called Reverie True Crime. So check it out. Definitely check out episode ninety. Could be your next big true crime binge. Paige, thanks so much for coming Aww. on. It was great to get to know you, and and hopefully a bunch of people go check out this episode because I'm curious what people think. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for for having me. I know I'm not a big podcaster, and so to be a little a little indie podcaster coming on your show and getting to talk to you is a total honor. So thank you for for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, and let's not forget, I'm just a little indie podcaster myself. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. You too. True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.